Section 16 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649, by John Winthrop. Section 16, 1643. Part 1. 12th February. News came out of England, by two fishing ships, of the civil wars there between the king and the parliament, whereupon the churches kept diverse days of humiliation. But some of the magistrates were not satisfied about the often reiteration of them for the same cause, but they would not contend with the elders about it, but left the churches to their liberty. 1. March 5th. At seven in the morning, being the Lord's Day, there was a great earthquake. It came with a rumbling noise like the former, but through the Lord's mercy it did no harm. The churches held a different course in raising the minister's maintenance. Some did it by way of taxation, which was very offensive to some. Amongst others, one Briscoe of Watertown, who had his barn burnt, as before mentioned, being grieved with that course in their town, the rather because himself and others, who were no members, were taxed, wrote a book against it, whereupon, besides his arguments, which were not, he cast reproach upon the elders and officers. This book he published underhand, which occasioned much stir in the town. At length he and two more were convicted before the court, where he acknowledged his fault in those reproachful speeches and in publishing it, whereas it had been his duty to have acquainted the court or magistrates with his grievance, etc., but for the arguments in the point there was nothing required of him, and was fined ten pounds for that, and some slighting of the court, and one of the publishers, forty shillings. Corn was very scarce all over the country, so as by the end of the second month many families in most towns had none to eat, were forced to live of clams, mussels, caddos, dry fish, etc., and sure this came by the just hand of the Lord to punish our ingratitude and covetousness. For corn being plenty diverse years before, it was so undervalued as it would not pass for any commodity. If one offered a shopkeeper corn for anything, his answer would be he knew not what to do with it. So for laborers and artificers, but now they would have done any work or parted with any commodity for corn. And the husbandman, he now made his advantage for he would part with no corn for the most part but for ready money or for cattle at such a price as should be twelve pence and the bushel more to him than ready money and indeed it was a very sad thing to see how little of a public spirit appeared in the country but of self-love too much yet there were some here and there who were men of another spirit and were willing to abridge themselves that others might be supplied the immediate causes of the scarcity were the cold and wet summer, especially in the time of the first harvest. Also the pigeons came in such flocks, above ten thousand in one flock, that beat down and eat up a very great quantity of all sorts of English grain, much corn spent in setting out the ships, catches, etc. Lastly, there were such abundance of mice in the barns that devoured much there. The mice also did much spoil in orchards, eating off the bark at the bottom of the fruit trees in the time of the snow, so as never had been known the like spoil in any former winter. So many enemies doth the Lord arm against our daily bread, that we might know we are to eat it in the sweat of our brow. 1. March 30th. The trial, Mr. Coitmore Master, arrived in a week after one of the catches. He sailed first to Fayal, where he found an extraordinary good market for his pipe staves and fish. He took wine and sugar, etc., and sailed thence to Christopher's in the West Indies, where he put off some of his wine for cotton and tobacco etc and for iron which the islanders had saved of the ships which were there cast away he obtained license also of the governor sir thomas warner to take up what ordnance anchors etc he could 
and was to have the one half and by the help of a diving tub he took up fifty guns and anchors and cables which he brought home and some gold and silver also which he got by trade and so through the lord's blessing they made a good voyage which did much encourage the merchants and made wine and sugar and cotton very plentiful and cheap in the country two catches also which were gone to the west indies for cotton etc arrived safe not long after and made return with profit another ship also called the increase sent to the mandarus returned safe and two other ships after though they went among the turks there is a piece of justice executed at new haven which being the first in that kind is not unworthy to be recorded mr malbon one of the magistrates there had a daughter about blank years of age which was openly wept her father joining in the sentence the cause was thus footnote winthrop has left a blank space in the manuscript in which to insert the explanation but does not give it in footnote the wife of one onion of roxbury died in great despair she had been a servant there and was very stubborn and self-willed after she was married she proved very worldly aiming at great matters her first child was stillborn through her unruliness and falling into a fever she fell withal into great horror and trembling so as it shook the room etc and crying out of her torment and of her stubbornness and unprofitableness under the means and her lying to her dame and denying somewhat that in liquorishness she had taken away and of her worldliness saying that she neglected her spiritual good for a low worldly trash and now she must go to everlasting torments and exhorted others to take heed of such evils etc and still crying out oh ten thousand worlds for one drop of christ etc after she had then been silent a few hours she began to speak again and being exhorted to consider of god's infinite mercy etc she gave still this answer i cannot for my life and so died the three ministers which were sent to virginia viz mr thompson mr knowles and mr james from new haven departed eight october seventh and were eleven weeks before they arrived they lay wind bound some time at aquaday then as they passed hellgate between long island and the dutch their pinnace was bilged upon the rocks so as she was near foundered before they could run on the next shore the dutch governor gave them slender entertainment but mr allerton of new haven footnote isaac allerton formerly of plymouth in footnote being there took great pains and care for them and procured them a very good pinnace and all things necessary so they set sail in the dead of winter and had much foul weather so as with great difficulty and danger they arrived safe in virginia here they found very loving and liberal entertainment and were bestowed in several places not by the governor but by some well-disposed people who desired their company in their way the difficulties and dangers which they were continually exercised with put them to some question whether their call were of god or not but so soon as they arrived there and had been somewhat refreshed mr thompson wrote back that being a very melancholic man and of a crazy body he found his health so repaired and his spirit so enlarged etc as he had not been in the like condition since he came to new england but this was to strengthen him for a greater trial for his wife a godly young woman and a comfortable help to him being left behind with a company of small children was taken away by death and all his children scattered but well disposed of among his godly friends four june twentieth mr knowles returned from virginia and brought letters from his congregation and others there to our elders which were openly read in boston at a lecture whereby it appeared that god had greatly blessed their ministry there so as the people's hearts were much inflamed with desire after the ordinances and though the state did silence the ministers because they would not conform to the order of england footnote by act of assembly forbidding nonconformist worship in footnote 
yet the people resorted to them in private houses to hear them as before. There fell out hot wars between the Dutch and the Indians thereabout. The occasion was this. An Indian, being drunk, had slain an old Dutchman. The Dutch required the murderer, but he could not be had. The people called often upon the governor to take revenge, but he still put it off, either for that he thought it was not safe or not just, etc. It fell out that the Mohawks, a people that live upon or near Hudson's River, either upon their own quarrel, or rather, as the report went, being set on by the Dutch, came suddenly upon the Indians near the Dutch and killed about thirty of them. The rest fled for shelter to the Dutch. One marine, a Dutch captain, hearing of it, goeth to the governor, footnote, William Kieft, in footnote, and obtains commission of him to kill so many as he could of them, and accordingly went with a company of armed men, and setting upon them, fearing no ill from the Dutch, he slew about seventy or eighty men, women, and children. Upon this the Indians burnt diverse of their farmhouses and their cattle in them, and slew all they could meet with, to the number of twenty or more, of men, women, and children, and pressed so hard upon the Dutch, even home to their fort, that they were forced to call in the English to their aid, and entertained Captain Underhill, etc., which Marine, the Dutch captain, took so ill, seeing the governor to prefer him before himself, that he presented his pistol at the governor, but was stayed by a stander-by. Then a tenant of Marine discharged his musket at the governor, but missed him narrowly, whereupon the sentinel, by the governor's command, shot that fellow presently dead. His head was set upon the gallows, and the captain was sent prisoner into Holland. The people also were so offended at the governor for the damage they now sustained by the Indians, though they were all for war before, that the governor durst not trust himself among them, but entertained a guard of fifty English about his person, and the Indians did so annoy them by sudden assaults out of the swamps, etc., that he was forced to keep a running army to be ready to oppose them upon all occasions. The Indians also of Long Island took part with their neighbors upon the main, and as the Dutch took away their corn, etc., so they fell to burning the Dutch houses. But these, by the mediation of Mr. Williams, who was then there to go in a Dutch ship to England, were pacified and peace re-established between the Dutch and them. Footnote. A characteristic service from Roger Williams. In footnote. At length they came to an accord of peace with the rest of the Indians also. 23rd. One John Cook, an honest young man, being in his master's absence to salute a ship, etc., in the vanity of his mind, thought to make the gun give a great report, and accordingly said to some that he would make her speak. Overcharging her, she brake all into small pieces, and scattered round about some men a flight off. Himself was killed, but no hurt found about him, but only one hand cut off and beaten a good distance from the place where he stood. And there appeared a special providence of God in it, for although there were many people up and down, yet none was hurt, nor was any near the gun when she was fired, whereas usually they gather thither on such occasions. One of our ships, the Sea Bridge, arrived with twenty children and some other passengers out of England, and three hundred pounds worth of goods purchased with the country's stock, given by some friends in England the year before, and those children, with many more to come after, were sent by money given one fast day in London, and allowed by the Parliament and city for that purpose. The House of Commons also made an order in our favor, which was sent us under the hand of H. Elsinge, Clerk Parle D.C., footnote, Clericus Parliamenti Domus Communis, i.e., Clerk of the Common Houses, in footnote, to this effect, viz. Veneris, footnote, i.e., De Veneris, or Friday, March 10th, 1642-1643, in footnote, Tin Marti, 1642. 
whereas the plantations in new england have by the blessing of almighty god had good and prosperous success without any charge to the state and are now likely to prove very happy for the propagation of the gospel in those parts and very beneficial and commodious for this kingdom and nation the commons now assembled in parliament do for the better advancement of these plantations and encouragement of the planters etc ordain that all merchandises goods exported etc into new england to be spent used or employed there or being of the growth of that country shall be imported hither or put abroad to be spent etc in the voyage going or returning and all and every the owners thereof be free of all customs etc in england and new england and all other ports until this house shall take further order this to be observed and allowed by all officers and persons whatsoever upon showing forth of this order signed by the said clerk without any other warrant our general court upon receipt of this order caused the same with our humble and thankful acknowledgment of so great a favor from the honorable assembly to be entertained verbatim among our records in perpetuum re memoriam one richard blank servant to one blank williams of dorchester being come out of service fell to work at his own hand and took great wages above others and would not work but for ready money by this means in a year or little more he had scraped together about twenty-five pounds and then returned with his prey into england speaking evil of the country by the way he was not gone far after his arrival but the cavaliers met him and eased him of his money so he knew no better way but to return to new england again to repair his loss in that place which he had so much disparaged month third may ten our court of elections was held when mr ezekiel rogers pastor of the church in rowley preached he was called to it by a company of freemen whereof the most were deputies chosen for the court appointed by order of the last court to meet at salem about nomination of some to be put to the vote for the new magistrates mr rogers hearing what exception was taken to this call as unwarrantable wrote to the governor for advice etc who returned him answer that he did not account his calling not to be sufficient yet the magistrates were not minded to strive with the deputies about it but seeing it was noised in the country and the people would expect him and that he had advised with the magistrates about it he wished him to go on in his sermon he described how the man ought to be qualified whom they should choose for their governor yet dissuaded them earnestly from choosing the same man twice together and expressed some dislike of that with which such vehemency as gave offence but when it came to trial the former governor mr winthrop was chosen again and two new magistrates mr william hibbins and mr samuel simons at this court came the commissioners from plymouth connecticut and new haven viz from plymouth mr edward winslow and mr collier from connecticut mr haynes and mr hopkins with whom mr finwick of saybrook joined from new haven mr theophilus eaton and mr grigson our court chose a committee to treat with them viz the governor and mr dudley and mr bradstreet being of the magistrates and of the deputies captain gibbons mr ting the treasurer and mr hathorne footnote the men mentioned in this entry were of the highest repute in their respective colonies as was proper since the business in hand was as grave as any in which new englanders were ever concerned thomas grigson and william ting are the only ones not heretofore described the former was perhaps next to theophilus eaton the chief citizen of new haven where he was the treasurer the latter filled the same office in massachusetts was one of the richest men in the community and though not a magistrate was for eight successive terms a deputy in footnote these coming to consultation encountered some difficulties but being all desirous of union and studious of peace they readily yielded each to one other in such things as tended toward common utility etc 
so as in some two or three meetings they lovingly accorded upon these ensuing articles which being allowed by our court and signed by all of the commissioners were sent to be also ratified by the general courts of other jurisdictions only plymouth commissioners having power only to treat but not to determine deferred the signing of them till they came home but soon after they were ratified by the general court also footnote no event of our early history is more significant than the confederation of the four colonies massachusetts plymouth connecticut and new haven a distinct foreshadowing of the great american union its importance has been emphasized by all our historians the league a precedent for which has been the federation of the states of the netherlands was initiated by connecticut and new haven which more exposed to pressure than their brethren farther east the dutch on the hudson elbowing sharply and the most formidable savages being close at hand sought support from their friends longer established it must be carefully noted that not all the english were included the enterprises of sir ferdinando gorges were as always looked upon askance for reasons which winthrop assigns as were also the undertakings at providence and aquidneck the independent spirit which breathes through the document is unmistakable and has been referred to by both liberal and tory historians the one side approving the other condemning about this time says palfrey volume one page six thirty three the english parliament appoints a commission for colonial government the term used implying an understanding quite different from that of the colonists in fact the parliament of sixteen forty three was disposed to be scarcely less arbitrary than the king or the later parliament of george the third in footnote those of sir ferdinando gorge his providence being pascaquack were not received nor called into the confederation because they ran a different course from us both in their ministry and civil administration for they had lately made acumenticus a poor village a corporation and had made a tailor their mayor and had entertained one hull an excommunicated person and very contentious for their minister at this court of elections there arose a scruple about the oath which the governor and the rest of the magistrates were to take viz about the first part of it you shall bear true faith and allegiance to our sovereign lord king charles seeing he had violated the privileges of parliament and made war upon them and thereby had lost much of his kingdom and many of his subjects whereupon it was thought fit to omit that part of it for the present about this time two plantations began to be settled upon merrimack pentakit called haverill and cochichawick called andover the articles of confederation between the plantations under the government of the massachusetts the plantations under the government of new plymouth the plantations under the government of connecticut and the government of new haven with the plantations in combination therewith whereas we all came into these parts of america with one and the same end an aim namely to advance the kingdom of our lord jesus christ and to enjoy the liberty of the gospel and purity with peace whereas we all came into these parts of america with one and the same end an aim namely to advance the kingdom of our lord jesus christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel and purity with peace and whereas by our settling by the wise providence of god we are further dispersed upon the sea-coasts and rivers than was at first intended so that we cannot according to our desire with convenience communicate in one government and jurisdiction and whereas we live encompassed with people of several nations and strained languages which hereafter may prove injurious to us in our posterity and for as much as the natives have formerly committed sundry insolences and outrages upon several plantations of the english and have of late combined themselves against us and seeing by reason of the sad distractions in england which they have heard of and by which they know we are hindered both from that humble way of seeking advice 
and reaping those comfortable fruits of protection, which at other times we might well expect. We therefore do conceive it our bounden duty, without delay, to enter into a present consociation amongst ourselves for mutual help and strength in all future concernment, that, as in nature and religion, so in other respects, we be in continual one, according to the tenor and true meaning of the ensuing articles. 1. Wherefore it is fully agreed and concluded between the parties above named, and they jointly and severally do, by these presents, agree and conclude that they all be, and henceforth be called by the name of the United Colonies of New England. 2. These United Colonies, for themselves and their posterities, do jointly and severally hereby enter into a firm and perpetual league of friendship and amity, for offense and defense, mutual advice and succor upon all just occasions, both for preserving and propagating the truth and liberties of the gospel, and for their own mutual safety and welfare. Third, it is further agreed that the plantations which at present are, or hereafter shall be settled within the limits of Massachusetts, shall be forever under the government of the Massachusetts, and shall have peculiar jurisdiction amongst themselves in all cases as an entire body, and that Plymouth, Connecticut, and New Haven shall each of them exceeding the number hereby agreed, they may crave help thence, and seek no further for the present. The charge to be borne as in this article is expressed, and at their return to be victualled, and supplied with powder and shot, if there be need, for their journey, by that jurisdiction which employed or sent for them. But none of the jurisdictions to exceed these numbers till by a meeting of the commissioners for this confederation a greater aid appear necessary. In this proportion to continue till upon knowledge of the numbers of each jurisdiction, which shall be brought to the next meeting, some other proportion be ordered. But in any such case of sending men for present aid, whether before or after such order or alteration, it is agreed that at the meeting of the commissioners for this confederation, the cause of such war or invasion be duly considered, and if it appear that the fault lay in the party invaded, that then that jurisdiction or plantation make just satisfaction both to the invaders whom they have injured, and bear all the charge of the war themselves without requiring any allowance from the rest of the confederates towards the same. And further, that if any jurisdiction see any danger of an invasion approaching, and there be time for a meeting, that in such case three magistrates of that jurisdiction may summon a meeting at such convenient places as themselves shall think meet, to consider and provide against the threat and danger, provided when they are met they may remove to what place they please, only while any of these four confederates have but three magistrates in their jurisdiction, a request or summons from any two of them shall be accounted of equal force with the three mentioned in both the clauses of this article, till there may be an increase of magistrates there. 6. It is also agreed that for the managing and concluding of all affairs peculiar to and concerning the whole confederation, commissioners shall be chosen by and out of each of these four jurisdictions, fees, two for the Massachusetts, two for Plymouth, two for Connecticut, and two for New Haven, all in church fellowship with us, which shall bring full power from their several general courts respectively, to hear, examine, weigh, and determine all affairs of war, peace, leagues, aids, charges, and numbers of men for war, division of spoils, and whatever is gotten by conquest. Receiving of more confederates or plantations into the combination with any of these confederates, and all things of like nature which are the proper concomitants or consequences of such a confederation for amity, offense, and defense, not intermeddling with the government of any of the jurisdictions, which by the third article is preserved entirely to themselves. 
But if those eight commissioners, when they meet, shall not agree, yet it is concluded that any six of the eight agreeing shall have power to settle and determine the business in question. But if six do not agree, that then such propositions with their reasons, so far as they have been debated, be sent and referred to the four general courts, viz., the Massachusetts, Plymouth, Connecticut, and New Haven. And if at all the said general courts the business so referred be concluded, then to be prosecuted by the Confederation and all their members. It is further agreed that these eight commissioners shall meet once every year, besides extraordinary meetings according to the fifth article, to consider, treat, and conclude of all affairs belonging to this Confederation, which meeting shall ever be the first Thursday in September, and that the next meeting after the date of those presents, which shall be accounted the second meeting, shall be at Boston in the Massachusetts, the third at Hartford, the fourth at New Haven, the fifth at Plymouth, the sixth and seventh at Boston, and so in course successively. If in the meantime some middle place be not found out and agreed upon, which may be commodious for all the jurisdictions. 7. It is further agreed that at each meeting of these eight commissioners, whether ordinary or extraordinary, they all, or any six of them agreeing as before, may choose their president out of themselves, whose office and work shall be to take care and direct for order and a comely carrying on of all proceedings in their present meeting, but he shall be invested with no such power or respect as by which he shall hinder the propounding or progress of any business, or any way cast the scales otherwise than in the preceding articles as agreed. 8. It is also agreed that the commissioners for this confederation hereafter at their meetings, whether ordinary or extraordinary, as they may have commissioner opportunity, do endeavor to frame and establish agreements and orders in general cases of a civil nature, wherein all the plantations are interested for preserving peace amongst themselves, and preventing, as much as may be, all occasions of war or differences with others, as about free and speedy passage of justice in each jurisdiction to all the confederates equally, as to their own, receiving those that remove from one plantation to another without due certificates, how all the jurisdictions may carry it towards the Indians, that they neither grow insolent nor be injured without due satisfaction, lest war break in upon the confederates through miscarriages. It is also agreed that if any servant run away from his master into any of the confederate jurisdictions, that in such case, upon certificate of one magistrate in the jurisdiction out of which the said servant fled, or upon other due proof, the said servant shall be delivered either to his master or any other that pursues and brings such certificate or proof, and that upon the escape of any prisoner or fugitive for any criminal case, whether breaking prison or getting from the officer, or otherwise escaping, upon the certificate of two magistrates of the jurisdiction out of which the escape is made, that he was a prisoner, or such an offender at the time of the escape, the magistrate, or some of them of the jurisdiction where for the present the said governor or fugitive abideth, shall forthwith grant such a warrant as the case will bear, for the apprehending of any such person, and the delivery of him into the hand of the officer or other person who pursueth him, and if there be help required for the safe returning of any such offender, then it shall be granted unto him that craves the same, he paying the charges thereof. Footnote. A rather curious forecast of the fugitive slave clause of the Constitution, the indentured servants, as often appears, being scarcely less in bondage than African slaves. In footnote. 9. And for that the justice wars may be of dangerous consequence, especially to the smaller plantations in these united colonies, it is agreed that neither the Massachusetts, Plymouth, Connecticut, nor New Haven, nor any of the members of any of them, shall at any time hereafter begin, undertake, or engage themselves, or this confederation, 
or any part thereof in any war whatsoever sudden exigencies with the necessary consequences thereof accepted which are also to be moderated as much as the case will permit without the consent and agreement of the aforenamed eight commissioners or at least six of them as in the sixth article is provided and that no charge be required of any of the confederates in case of a defensive war till the said commissioners have met and approved the justice of the war and have agreed upon the sum of money to be levied which sum is then to be paid by the several confederates in proportion according to the fourth article tenth that in extraordinary occasions when meetings are summoned by three magistrates of any jurisdiction or two as in the fifth article if any of the commissioners come not due warning being given or sent it is agreed that four of the commissioners shall have power to direct a war which cannot be delayed and to send for due proportions of men out of each jurisdiction as well as six might do if all met but not less than six shall determine the justice of the war or allow the demands or bills of charges or cause any levies to be made for the same eleventh it is further agreed that if any of the confederates shall hereafter break any of the present articles or be other way injurious to any one of the other jurisdictions such breach of agreement or injury shall be duly considered and ordered by the commissioners for the other jurisdictions that both peace and this present confederation may be entirely preserved without violation footnote plainly in these articles no secession at will of any of the contracting parties was allowable and footnote lastly this perpetual confederation and the several articles and agreements thereof being read and seriously considered both by the general court for the massachusetts and the commissioners for the other three were subscribed presently by the commissioners all save those of plymouth who for want of sufficient commission from their general court deferred their subscription till the next meeting and then they subscribed also and were to be allowed by the general courts of the several jurisdictions which accordingly was done and certified at the next meeting held at boston seven september seventh sixteen forty three boston three twenty nine footnote the date is clear in the manuscript but savage believes there is reason for making it may nineteenth as in the plymouth records instead of twenty nine three years later eighteen fifty six the publication of bradford's history confirmed his view the text with some differences especially in the ending may be seen in bradford pages three eighty two to three eighty eight of the edition in the present series also in the plymouth records volume nine colonial records of connecticut volume three and old south leaflets number one sixty nine in footnote sixteen forty three four june twelfth mr latour arrived here in a ship of a hundred forty tons and a hundred forty persons the ship came from rochelle the master and his company were protestants there were two friars and two women sent to wait upon latour his lady they came in with a fair wind without any notice taken of them they took a pilot out of one of our boats at sea and left one of their men in its place captain gibbon's wife and children passed by the ship as they were going to their farm but being discovered to latour by one of his gentlemen who knew her latour manned out a shallop which he towed after him to go speak with her she seeing such a company of strangers making towards her hastened to get from them and landed at the governor's garden latour landed presently after her and there found the governor and his wife and two of his sons and his son's wife and after mutual salutations he told the governor the cause of his coming viz that this ship being sent him out of france d'alny his old enemy had so blocked up the river to his fort at st john's with two shops and a galliot as a ship could not get in whereupon he stole by in the night in a shallop and was came to crave aid to convey him into his fort 
The governor answered that he could not say anything to it till he had conferred with other of the magistrates. So after supper he went with him to Boston in Latour's boat, having sent his own boat to Boston to carry home Mrs. Gibbons. Diverse boats, having passed by him, had given notice hereof to Boston and Charlestown, his ship also arriving before Boston. The towns betook them to their arms, and three shelves with armed men came forth to meet the governor and to guard him home. But here the Lord gave us occasion to take notice of our weakness, etc. For if Latour had been ill-minded towards us, he had such an opportunity as we hope neither he nor any other shall ever have the like again. For coming by our castle and saluting it, there was none to answer him. For the last court had given order to have the castle island deserted, a great part of the work being fallen down, etc., so as he might have taken all the ordnance there. Then, having the governor and his family, and Captain Gibbon's wife, etc., in his power, he might have gone and spoiled Boston, and having so men, and having so many men ready, they might have taken two ships in the harbor and gone away without danger or resistance. But his neglecting this opportunity gave us assurance of his true meaning. So being landed at Boston, the governor, with a sufficient guard, brought him to his lodging at Captain Gibbon's. This gave further assurance that he intended us no evil, because he voluntarily put his person in our power. The next day the governor called together such of the magistrates as were at hand, and some of the deputies, and propounding the cost of them, and Latour being present, and the captain of a ship, etc., he showed his commission, which was fairly engrossed in parchment under the hand and seal of the vice-admiral of France and grand prior, etc., to bring supply to Latour, whom he styled his majesty's lieutenant journal of Lacade, and also a letter from the agent of the Company of France, to whom he hath reference, informing him of the injurious practices of D'Alny against him, and advising him to look to himself, etc., and superscribe to him as lieutenant general, etc. Upon this it appeared to us, that being dated in April last, that notwithstanding the news which D'Alny had sent to our governor the last year, whereby Latour was proclaimed a rebel, etc., yet he stood in good terms with the state of France, and also with the company, Whereupon, though we could not grant him aid without advice of the other commissioners of our confederacy, yet we thought it not fit nor just to hinder any that would be willing to be hired to aid him, and accordingly we answered him that we would allow him a free market, footnote, market, that he might hire any ships which lay in our harbor, etc. This answer he was very well satisfied with and took very thankfully. He also desired leave to land his men that they might refresh themselves, which was granted him, so they landed in small companies that our women, etc., might not be affrighted by them. This direction was duly observed. But the training day at Boston falling out the next week, and Latour having requested that he might be permitted to exercise his soldiers on shore, we expected him that day, so we brought forty men in their arms. They were all shot. Footnote. They were all muskets. In footnote. They were brought into the field by our train band, consisting of a hundred fifty, and in the forenoon they only beheld our men exercise. When they had dined, Latour and his officers with our officers, and his soldiers invited home by the private soldiers, in the afternoon they were permitted to exercise, our governor and others of the magistrates coming then into the field, and all ours stood and beheld them. They were very expert in all their postures and motions. When it was near night, Latour desired our governor that his men might have leave to depart, which being granted, his captain acquainted our captain therewith. So he drew our men into a march, and the French fell into the middle. When they were to depart, they gave a volley of shot and went to their boat, the French showing much admiration to see so many men of one town so well armed and disciplined, Latour professing he could not have believed it if he had not seen it. 
Our governor and others in the town entertained Latour and his gentlemen with much courtesy, both in their houses and at table. Latour came duly to our church meetings, and always accompanied the governor to and from thence, who all the time of his abode here was attended with a good guard of halberts and musketeers. Those who engrossed the ships, understanding his distress, and the justice of his cause, and the magistrate's permission, were willing to be entertained by him. Footnote. The visit of Latour to Boston is a picturesque episode. At this moment, France was on the brink of becoming involved in the English Civil War. In the summer of 1643, the cause of Parliament, with which New England sympathized, was much depressed, while the King's party, most zealous in which was Queen Henrietta Maria, a French Catholic princess, seemed likely to triumph. France was on the point of taking active part with the Cavaliers. When therefore Latour suddenly appeared in the harbor of the little town in a ship well armed and manned, great caution in dealing with him was necessary. The fact that the ship's captain and part of the crew were Huguenots from the Rochelle seemed to justify a policy of forbearance, as those were on good terms with Latour. It was a portentous sight indeed when a company of French soldiers, fully armed and drilled, maneuvered on the training field. Dropping their muskets and drawing their swords, they made a rapid charge, described, Savage says, in a note attached to the manuscript, burned in 1825. The more timorous feared this might be in earnest. Latour's audacious visit was a bold bid for support from the Puritans against his rival, the Alney. He might easily have carried off the governor and burned the unprepared settlement, but his disposition was friendly, and he withdrew, leaving Boston quite dazed over the transaction. The controversy as to whether the heads had done wisely or foolishly is preserved in the prolix pages of labored argument, fortified pro and con by far-fetched biblical precedents, which followed the narrative of Latour's visit. In footnote. But the rumor of these things soon spreading through the country were diversely apprehended not only by the common sort but also by the elders, whereof some in their sermons spoke against their entertainment, and the aid permitted them. Others spake in justification of both. One blank, a judicious minister, hearing that leave was granted them to exercise their men in Boston, out of his fear of popish leagues and care of our safety, spake as in way of prediction that, before that day were ended, store of blood would be spilled in Boston. Diverse also wrote to the governor, laying before him great dangers, others charging sin upon the conscience in all these proceeding, so as he was forced to write and publish the true state of the cause, and the reasons of all their proceedings, which satisfied many, but not all. Also the masters and others who were to go in the ships desired advice about their proceedings, etc., whereupon the governor appointed another meeting, to which all the near magistrates and deputies, and the elders also were called, and there the matter was debated upon these heads. First, whether it were lawful for Christians to aid idolaters, and how far we may hold communion with them. Second, whether it were safe for a state to suffer him to have aid from us against Alni. To the first question, the arguments on the negative part were these. 1. Jehoshaphat is reproved for the like. Wouldst thou help the wicked? The answer to this was, first, this must be met only in such case as that was, not simply according to the words of that one sentence taken apart from the rest, for otherwise it would be unlawful to help any wicked man, though a professed Protestant, and though our own countryman, father, brother, etc., and that in any case, though ready to be drowned, slain, famished, etc., Jehoshaphat aided him in a brotherly league of amity and affinity. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, etc. Second, Ahab was declared a wicked man by God and denounced to destruction. Answer, Ahab was in no distress, and so needed no aid. Second, 
Argument. Jehoshaphat joining after with Ahaziah and making ships is reproved, etc. Answer. There is difference between helping a man in distress, which is a duty imposed, and joining in a course of merchandise where the action is voluntary, and it appears by this their joining that the League of Amity continued between the two kingdoms. Third. Argument. Josiah stood evil in aiding the king of Babylon against Pharaoh Nebo. Third. Argument. Josiah stood evil in aiding the king of Babylon against Pharaoh Necho. Answer 1. The king of Babylon was in no distress, nor did desire his help, nor is it said he intended to his aid. Second. Josiah, no doubt, did not break any known general rule, being so strict an observer of all God's commandments, for it was not lawful for him to stop Pharaoh's army from going through his country. But his sin was that either he did not believe the message of God by Pharaoh in that particular case, or did not inquire further about it from his own prophets, and so it is expressed in that story. Fourth, argument. Amaziah, king of Judah, is reproved for hiring an army out of Israel, because God was near with Israel. Answer, this is not to the question, which is of giving aid, and not of hiring aid from others, nor was Amaziah in any distress, but only sought to enlarge his dominion. Fifth, by aiding papists we advance and strengthen popery. Answer 1. We are not to omit things necessary and lawful for a doubtful ill consequence, which is but accidental. Second, such aid may as well work to the weakening of popery by winning some of them to the love of the truth, as has sometimes fallen out, and sometimes by strengthening one part of them against another. They may both be the more weakened in the end. For the second question, whether it be safe, etc., the arguments on the negative part were these. First, papists are not to be trusted, seeing it as one of their tenets that they are not to keep promise with heretics. Answer, in this case we rely not upon their faith, but their interest. It being for their advantage to hold in with us, we may safely trust them. Besides, we shall not need to hazard ourselves upon their fidelity, having sufficient strength to secure ourselves. Second, we may provoke the state of France against us, or at least to Alney, and so be brought into another war. Answer. It appears by the commission and letter before mentioned that Latour stands in good terms with the state of France and the company, etc. It is usual in all states in Europe to suffer aid to be hired against their confederates without any breach of the peace, as by the states of Holland against the Spaniards, and by both out of England without any breach of the peace or offense to either. As for D'Aulnay, he hath carried himself so, as we could look for no other but ill measures from him. If he were able, though we should not permit Latour to have help from us, for he hath taken Penobscot from us with our goods to a great value. He made prize of our men and goods also at Isle Sable, and kept our men as slaves a good space, but never made satisfaction for our goods. Likewise he entertained our servants which ran from us, and refuseth to return them, being demanded. He also furnisheth the Indians about us with guns and gunpowder. And lastly he wrote last year to our governor, forbidding our vessels to pass beyond his fort in the open sea, and threatening to make prize if he should meet, etc., and if the worst should happen that can be feared, yet if our way be lawful, and we innocent from wrong, etc., we may and must trust God with our safety, so long as we serve his providence, and the use of such means as he affords us. Third, argument. Solomon tells us that he that meddleth with a strife which belongs not to him takes a dog by the ear, which is very dangerous. Answer, this is a strife which doth belong to us, both in respect of Latour seeking aid to us in his distress, and also in respect it so much concerns us to have to all nay subdued or weakened. 
and if it were not wisdom in us to stop the course of providence which offers to do that for us without our charge which we are alike otherwise to be forced to undertake at our own charge fourth it is not safe to permit this aid to go from us especially without advice of the general court lest it should miscarry and so prove a dishonor and weakening to us answer one for the general court it could not have been assembled under fourteen days and such delay besides the necessary charge it would put latour unto and ourselves also by the strong watches we are forced to keep it might have lost the opportunity of relieving him or it might have put him upon some dangerous design of surprising our ships etc besides if the court had been assembled we knew they would not have given him aid without consent of the commissioners of the other colonies and for a bare permission we might do it without the court and to have deferred this needlessly had been against that rule say not to thy neighbor go and come again and to-morrow i will give thee when there is power in thy hands to do it as for the dangers of miscarriage it is not so much as in other our voyages to spain or england or etc and if the rule be safe that we walk by the success cannot alter it fifth we hear only one party we should as well hear the other otherwise we deal not judicially and perhaps may aid a man in an unjust quarrel answer one we heard formerly to Alney's allegations against latour and notwithstanding all that latour his cause appears just for they being both the subjects of the same prince the ship coming by permission from their prince's authority did Alney ought to permit him to enter peaceably second our men that go will first offer parley with Alney, and if latour his cause be unjust they are not to offend the others third latour being now in desperate distress he is first to be succored before the cause be further inquired unto according to the example of abraham who hearing of the distress of his kinsman lot stayed not till he might send to chedilaramar to have his answer about the justice of his cause yet there was strong presumption that his cause was just and that lot and all the rest were lawful prisoners for they had been twelve years his subjects and were in rebellion at this time but he stays not to inquire out the cause the distress not permitting it but goes personally to rescue them as put case an englishman or spaniard should be driven into our harbor by a pirate and should come and inform us so and desire us to let him have aid to convey him safe to sea might we not lawfully send out aid with him before he had sent to the pirate to understand the cause it would be time enough to demand that when our aid came up with him so if our neighboring indian should send to us to desire aid against some other indians who were coming to destroy them should we first send to the other indians to inquire the justice of the cause no but we should first send to save them and after examine the cause the arguments on the affirmative part are many of them touched and the former answers to the arguments on the other part the rest are these first by the royal law thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself if our neighbor be in distress we ought to help him without any respect to religion or other quality but an idolater in distress is our neighbor as appears by that parable luke ten where it is plainly concluded that the samaritan was neighbor to the distressed traveller and our saviour bids the lawyer being a jew to do likewise that is even to a samaritan if in distress and by the law of relations the distressed jew was neighbor to the samaritan and the samaritan in distress should have been so to him though as opposite in religion as protestants and papists if such an one be not our neighbour then we have no relation to him by any command of the second table for that requires us to love our neighbour only and then we may deceive be and otherwise damnify him and not sin etc second argument out of galatians chapter six verse ten 
do good to all, but especially to the household of faith, by which it appears that under all he includes such as were not believers and those were heathen idolaters, and if we must do good to such, we must help them in distress. Third, we are exhorted to be like our Heavenly Father in doing good to the just and unjust, that is to all, as occasion is offered, even such as he causeth the sun to shine upon, and the rain to fall upon, though excommunicated persons, blasphemers, and persecutors, yet if they be in distress, we are to do them good, and thereby to relieve them. Fourth, we may hold some kind of communion with idolaters, as first, we may have peace with them, second, commerce, Ezekiel 27:17, speaking of Tyrus, who are idolaters, he saith, Judah were thy merchants in wheat, etc., and the Jews were not forbidden to trade with the heathen in Nehemiah's time, so it were not on the Sabbath. Third, in drinking and eating, and such like familiar converse, 1 Corinthians 10, if an heathen invite a Christian to his table, he might go, etc., and so he might as well invite such to his table, as Solomon did the Queen of Sheba, and the ambassadors of other princes round about him, who would not have resorted to him as they did, if he had not entertained them courteously. And he both received presents and gave presents to the Queen of Sheba, and others who were then idolaters. In Nehemiah 5.17 he saith, that with the Jews there were also at his table usually such of the heathen as came to him, so that was not then, nor indeed at all by the law, unlawful for the Jews to eat with heathen, though the Pharisees made it unlawful by their traditions. The fourth and last kind of communion is succor and distress. To the second question, the arguments on the affirmative part were these, with others expressed before us in the answers. First, Daoni is a dangerous neighbor to us. If he have none to oppose him, or to keep him employed at home, he will certainly be dealing with us. But if Latour be not now helping, he is undone. His fort, with his wife, children, and servants, will all be taken. He hath no place to go unto. The ship cannot carry back him and all his company to France. We'll leave them on shore here, and how safe it will be for us to keep them is doubtful. But to let them go will be more dangerous, for they must then go to D'Aulny, and that will strengthen him greatly, both by their number, and still also by their present knowledge of our state and place, which, in regard to our own safety, lays a necessity upon us in aiding Latour, and aiding him so as he may subsist, and be able to make good his place against his enemy. Second, Latour being in urgent distress, and therefore as our neighbor to be relieved, if it be well done to us, we may trust in God and not be afraid of any terror. 1 Peter 3, 6. Third, it will be no wisdom for D'Aulne to begin with us, for he knows how much stronger we are than he in men and shipping, and some experience we have had hereof, and that when our friends of Plymouth hired a ship in our harbor, and thereof went and battered his house at Penobscot, yet he took no occasion thereby against us, nor ever attempted anything against them, though their trading house at Kennebec be an hindrance to him, and easy for him to take at his pleasure. There were other instances brought to the lawfulness, both in Joshua his aiding the Gibeonites, who were Canaanites, and had deluded him, and he might hereupon have left them to be spoiled by their neighbors. So when Jehoshaphat aided Jerem against Moab, for he had put away Baal, Elisha speaks honorably to him, and doth not reprove him, but for his presence sake saves the house by miracles, etc. The like rumors and fears were raised upon our first expedition against the Pequods, 1636. The governor of Plymouth wrote to Mr. Winthrop, then deputy governor, in dislike of our attempt, and in apprehension of the great danger we had incurred, that we had provoked the Pequods and no more, and had thereby occasioned a war, etc. But we found, through the Lord's special mercy, that the provocation of war proved a blessing to all the English. 
Our brethren of Connecticut wrote also to us, declaring their fears, and the danger we had cast them into by warring upon the Pequods, etc. And indeed we committed an error, in that we did not first give them notice of our intention, that they might take the more care of their own safety, but they could not be ignorant of our preparations. The governor by letters informed the rest of the commissioners of the United Colonies of what had passed about Latour, but the reason why he did not defer him at first for his answer, till some more of the magistrates and deputies might have been assembled, and the elders likewise consulted with, was this. Conceiving that he stood still under the same sentence of the arrest from the state of France, there would have been no need of advice in this case, for he must have given him the same answer he gave his lieutenant the last year, and upon the same ground viz that however he might trade here for such commodities as he stood in need of yet he could expect no aid from us for it would not be fit nor safe for us to do that which might justly provoke the state of france against us but being met and seeing the commission from the vice-admiral etc that occasion of danger being removed we doubted not but we might safely give him such answer as we did without further trouble to the country or delay to him see more of this blank leaves after the sow business not yet being digested in the country footnote for the sow business see page sixty four palfrey well describes how through this dispute over a trifling matter the bicameral feature became established in the new england legislatures in footnote many of the elders being yet unsatisfied and the more by reason of a new case stated by some of the plaintiff's side and delivered to the elders wherein they dealt very partially for they drew out all the evidence which made for the plaintiff, and thereby framed their conclusion without mentioning any of the defendant's evidence. This being delivered to the elders, and by them imparted to some of the other side, an answer was presently drawn which occasioned the elders to take a view of all the evidence on both parties, and a meeting being procured both of magistrates and elders, near all in the jurisdiction, and some of the deputies, the elders there declared, that notwithstanding their former opinions, yet upon examination of all the testimonies they found such contrariety and crossing of testimonies as they did not see any ground for the court to proceed to judgment in the case and therefore earnestly desired that the court might never be more troubled with it to this all consented except mr bellingham who still maintained his former opinion and would have the magistrates lay down their negative voice and so the cause be heard again this stiffness of his and singularity in opinion was very unpleasing to all the company but they went on notwithstanding and because a principal end of the meeting was to reconcile differences and take away offences which were risen between some of the magistrates by occasion of this sow business and the treaties of mr saltonstall against the council so as mr bellingham and he stood divided from the rest which occasioned much opposition even in open court and much partaking in the country but by the wisdom and faithfulness of the elders mr saltonstall was brought to see his failings in that treatise which he did ingeniously acknowledge and bewail, and so was reconciled with the rest of the magistrates. They labored also to make a perfect reconciliation between the governor and Mr. Bellingham. The governor offered himself ready to it, but the other was not forward, whereby it rested in a manner as it was. Mr. Dudley also had let fall a speech in the court to Mr. Rogers of Ipswich, which was grievous to him and other of the elders. The thing was this, mr rogers being earnest in a cause between the town and mr bradstreet which also concerned his own interest mr dudley used a speech to him quote, do you think to come with your eldership here to carry matters etc mr dudley was somewhat hard at first to be brought to see any evil in it but at last he was convinced and did acknowledge it and they were reconciled 
The deputies also who were present at this meeting and had voted for the plaintiff in the case of the sow seemed now to be satisfied, and the elders agreed to deal with the deputies of their several towns to the end that the cause might never trouble the court more. But all this notwithstanding, the plaintiff, or rather one G. Story, her solicitor, being of an unsatisfied spirit and animated, or at least too much countenanced by some of the court, preferred a petition at the court of elections for a new hearing. And this being referred to the committee for petitions, it was returned that the greater part of them did conceive the cause should be heard again, and some others in the court declared themselves of the same judgment, which caused others to be much grieved to see such a spirit of godly men, that neither the judgment of near all the magistrates, nor the concurrence of the elders in their mediation, nor the loss of time and charge, nor the settling of peace in court and country could prevail with them to let such a cause fall, as in ordinary course of justice it might, as nothing could be found in, by any one testimony, to be of criminal nature, nor could the matter of the suit, with all damages, have amounted to forty shillings. But two things appeared to carry men on in this course, as it were in captivity. One was, the deputies stood only upon this, that their towns were not satisfied in the cause, which, by the way, shows plainly the democratical spirit which acts our deputies, etc. The other was, the desire of the name of victory, whereas on the other side the magistrates, etc., were content for peace's sake, and upon the elders' advice to decline that advantage, and to let the cause fall for want of advice to sway it either way. Now that which made the people so unsatisfied, and unwilling the cause should rest as it stood, was the twenty pounds which the defendant had recovered against the plaintiff in an action of slander for saying he had stolen the sow, etc., and many of them could not distinguish this from the principal cause, as she had been adjudged to pay twenty pounds for demanding her sow, and yet the defendant never took of this more than three pounds for his charges of witnesses, etc., and offered to remit the whole if she would have acknowledged the wrong she had done him. But being accounted a rich man, and she a poor woman, this was so wrought with the people as being blinded with unreasonable compassion, they could not see or not allow justice her reasonable course. This being found out by some of the court, a motion was made that some who had interest in the defendant would undertake to persuade him to restore the plaintiff the three pounds, or whatever it were, he took upon that judgment, and likewise to refer other matters to reference which were between the said story and him. This the court were satisfied with, and proceeded no further. There was yet one offence for which the elders desired might also be removed, and for that end some of them moved the governor in it, and he easily consented to them so far as they had convinced him of his failing therein. The matter was this. The governor had published a writing about the case of the sow, as is herein before declared, wherein some passages gave offence, as he being willing to remove. So soon as he came into the general court, he spake as followeth. His speech is set down verbatim to prevent misrepresentation, as if he had retracted what he had wrote in the point of the case. I understand diverse have taken offence at a writing I set forth about the sow business. I desire to remove it, and to begin my year in a reconciled estate withal. The writing is of two parts, the matter and the manner. In the former I had the concurrence of others of my brethren, both magistrates and deputies, but for the other viz the manner, that was wholly mine own, and so as whatsoever was blameworthy in it, I must take it to myself. The matter is point of judgment, which is not at my own disposing. I have examined it over and again, by such light as Scoth hath afforded me from the rules of religion, reason, and common practice, and truly I can find no ground to retract anything in that. Therefore I desire I may enjoy my liberty herein, as every of yourselves do, and justly may. 
But for the manner, whatsoever I might allege from my justification before men, I now pass it over, and now set myself before another judgment seat. I will first speak to the manner in general, and then to two particulars. For the general, howsoever that which I wrote was upon great provocation by some of the adverse party, and upon invitation from others to vindicate themselves from that aspersion which was cast upon us, yet there was no sufficient warrant for me to break out into any distemper. I confess I was too prodigal of my brethren's reputation, and might have obtained the cause I had in hand without casting such blemish upon others as it did. For the particulars, one, for the conclusion viz, now let religion and sound judgment give judgment to the case, whereby I might seem to conclude the other side to be void both of religion and reason. It is true a man may, as the case may be, appeal to the judgment of religion and reason, but, as I there carried it, I did arrogate too much to myself and ascribe too little to others. The other particular was the profession I made of maintaining what I wrote before all the world, which, though it may modestly be professed, as the case may require, yet I confess it was now not so beseeming me, but was indeed a fruit of the pride of mine own spirit. These are all the Lord hath brought me to consider of, wherein I acknowledge my failings, and humbly entreat you will pardon and pass them by. If you please to accept my request, your silence shall be a sufficient testimony thereof unto me, and I hope I shall be more wise and watchful hereafter. The sow business had started another question about the magistrate's negative vote in the general court. The deputies generally were very earnest to have it taken away, whereupon one of the magistrates wrote a small treatise, wherein he laid down the original of it from the patent, and the establishing of it by the order of the general court in 1634, showing thereby how it was fundamental to our government, which, if it were taken away, it would be a mere democracy. He showed also the necessity and usefulness of it by many arguments from scripture, reason, and common practice, etc. Yet this would not satisfy, but the deputies and common people would have it taken away, and yet it was apparent, as some of the deputies themselves confessed, the most did not understand it. An answer also was written, by one of the magistrates as was conceived, to the said treatise, undertaking to avoid all the arguments both from the patent and from the order, etc., this the deputies made great use of in the court, supposing they had now enough to carry the cause clearly with them, so as they pressed earnestly to have it presently determined. But the magistrates told them the matter was of great concernment, even to the very frame of our government. It had been established upon serious consultation and consent of all the elders. It had been continued without any inconvenience or apparent mischief these fourteen years, and therefore it would not be safe nor of good report to alter on such a sudden and without the advice of the elders offering withal that upon such advice and consideration it should appear to be inconvenient or not warranted by the patent and the said order etc they should be ready to join with them in taking it away upon these propositions they were stilled and so an order was drawn up to this effect that it was desired that every member of the court would take advice etc and that it should be no offence for any either publicly or privately to declare their opinion in the case so it were modestly etc and that the elders should be desired to give their advice before the next meeting of this court. It was the magistrates' only care to gain time, that so the people's heat might be abated, for then they knew they would hear reason, and that the advice of the elders might be interposed, and that there might be liberty to reply to the answer, which was very long and tedious, which accordingly was done soon after the court, and published to good satisfaction. One of the elders also wrote a small treatise, wherein scholastically and religiously he handled the question, laying down the several forms of government both simple and mixed and the true form of our government and the unavoidable change into a democracy if the negative voice were taken away 
and answered all objections, and so concluded for the continuance of it, so as the deputies and the people also, having their heat moderated by time, and their judgments better informed by what they had learned about it, let the cause fall, and he who had written the answer to the first offense appeared no further in it. End of section 16